Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. listeners welcome to bitches on comics i'm se fleenor one of your hosts and i'm here with sarah century another one of your hosts we are the hosts and we're super happy to be here because it's our podcast and we're in charge of it mm-hmm. i like that part <laughs> i do yeah, it's, it's pretty fun the uh movie that i watched most recently is a new octavia spencer melissa mccarthy film from netflix called thunder force and they're Oh my god, they're fat women in their 40s who get superpowers. You know, I was prepared to like it, and I love it. I think it is so funny. Melissa McCarthy's one of my favorite actors. She's so funny. I love that she's like a person of size who throws around her body and isn't ashamed of it. She cracks me up. Octavia Spencer is just so on point the whole film an amazing actor obviously Mm -hmm. it's delightful and Octavia Spencer has a daughter and she's so cute and nerdy and then she gets to do cool stuff I loved it (laughs) I am excited to watch it however I have been engaging in my favorite pastime which is watching very bad movies and then getting passionate about them (laughs) in articles So I've been watching the Amityville franchise because I'm doing a retrospective on it for the website Manor Vellum, which is through Medium. So Manor Vellum is a horror criticism site, and they are very fun to write for. It's M-A-N-O-R, and then a new word, V-E-L-L-U-M. One of my bright ideas was to do a retrospective on the Amityville franchise because it was mentioned to me by the editor that I could do a series, basically, that was all about one subject. And of course, I chose like a 50 movie (laughs) franchise. (laughs) I feel like I hear you complain about the films a lot, but like in a loving way where you're like, this is terrible and I love it. Well, it's like, I I don't even know if I love it, but it's like, I always have to find (laughs) the part of it that is interesting, I guess. So even in the first one, it was like, look, this really happened to people, you know, like not necessarily the haunting part of it because it's generally considered to be a hoax. And of course, there's some context for that in the piece, but definitely just talking about like, you know, this is a family that got murdered. They can't stand up for themselves anymore. And this franchise has just gone wild with like what might have happened behind closed doors. And so it's just been intense. I have known nothing about these movies. So yeah. I um I'm enjoying getting your perspective on them from a very like blank slate place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like every single essay I'm just trying to focus on something new that is interesting about the franchise thematically. So 
I'm going into piece three. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a three-part series. It's probably going to be a four-part series. There's a lot of movies <laughs> that aren't going to get covered because guess what? You can call anything in Amityville something because Amityville is a town. It's not anything. So you can't be sued for that. There's at least two porn parodies. Like, you know, it's just a oh, lot. I bet. So. Oh, I bet. I love that you're like, I can do a series. I'll pick 50 horror films, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a ton of them aren't going to get covered. I'm definitely sticking to like under 15 because no thanks. And a lot of no, the ones no I thanks. do talk about are really bad. But I will say this, as terrible as Amityville 3D was, it also brought the world Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan had acted in a few things, but she's really good in that movie, even though it's a terrible movie. But you watch it and you're just like, oh, this person's going to be so famous. You see her as like a young kid, basically, and you're just like, oh, my God, the charisma compared to everybody else around her. Wait, we had like, 3D movies when Meg Ryan was a kid? That is wild to me. I mean— Photographs had 3D, right? So, like, whenever they started trying to make motion pictures to begin with, one of their ideas was to use the 3D effect. Like, that was part of what they were trying to do. I'm furious that I have studied film for many years <laughs> and did not know that. That is so interesting. And that, like, the first color film, right, was House of Wax. And that had, like, the 3D effects. And that was in 1953, right? But also, there's a lost film from, like, 1922 that used the 3D effect with the glasses. So, <laughs> this is a funny way to begin an episode. But I will say that I looked that up, actually, pretty extensively. But also, I knew because I had gone to a museum that had the old 3D photographs. So, I love a nerd. I mean... <laughs> Hence the podcast. <laughs> Nerds. We have a question from Kay via Instagram. I love your podcast. I'm embarrassed I didn't know about it sooner. I will carry that shame with me always. <laughs> okay, you don't need to do that. It's cool, man. Like, the Eps are still there. We're still friends. Thank you for apologizing. <laughs> it did get weird, but... <laughs> Sarah will accept the apology, <laughs> which is... That's about right. It's about right. So, Kay goes on to say, Would love to hear your thoughts about WandaVision and the good and bad adaptation choices made with regards to comics Wanda throughout her history in the MCU somewhat related. It would be fun to hear, A, what comic properties or arcs you'd love to see adapted into film or TV, and B, which ones you feel like should be untouchable. For instance, you hear there's going to be a movie and you, <laughs> and it will make you feel like burning something down, or just mildly put you out. <laughs> <laughs> I like that range. I like that range of emotion. Um, yeah, that is, is, that is the how range I feel. of emotion I regularly experience. So <laughs> I'm just like, that's fine. I hate this, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about WandaVision on episode 76 with Stephanie Williams. We were really focused on Monica Rambeau and, and how, at the time at least, her representation was really exciting and, and fresh. We I think we're only halfway through this season coming out at that point. 
now we have the full picture for this conversation. And I, you know, I have some thoughts, but Sarah, you're a big time Wanda reader. You love her. I would love to hear your general thoughts or, or even specific if you feel like it about how Wanda's representation in the MCU and then specifically in WandaVision meets or doesn't meet your hopes and expectations based on her comics representation. Sure, yeah. There's some of it that I think works so well, and of course, many things that I have criticisms about. So the biggest things that I think work would be the fact that she takes everything on herself, you know? Like, there's Mm. all of these parts of the series, but the movies as well, where you see somebody who really can't trust other people to do literally anything, right? Like, it's all on her. And the way that she takes things on her own shoulders, the way that she kind of grieves alone, like the way that, you know, it takes the vision being a very kind person to kind of get through that shell. I think those are all things that make a lot of sense because Wanda is nothing else if not the eternal outsider. She's always somebody who feels a little bit alienated, truly no matter where she's at. There's always a little bit of that because, I mean, everybody goes through stuff in superhero comics, but nobody can specifically relate to her, I think. I would find it to be really difficult. Maybe Jean, but they never talk to each other or... I was going to say they never talk to other women ever, but I'm like, okay, that's not fair. They do sometimes, but they really don't enough, right? You would love to see those folks all hash it out. But yeah, I would say that the things that I like are that they understand how powerful she is. They understand what a kind of idiosyncratic person she is and how she struggles for identity because she has been told she is somebody else, you know, again and again throughout her life. I think the biggest problem with a lot of that is is that there isn't a lot of context for it in the TV series. In the comics, she's also no longer Magneto's daughter for now. I'm sure that that's going to change at some point because I think that they just make more sense as relatives. I think her, Pietro, and Magneto, and Lorna all have kind of similar temperaments, but I think that a lot of the changes that they made were around what her heritage is. And I think that that makes it be a different story a lot of the times. It allows for a lot of conservatism to like make its way into this story. Because in the beginning, we have a character who is Jewish, Romani, and she lives in poverty and struggles to stay alive with her brother. Like both of them lived through serious hunger and poverty in their childhood. But in the show, it's kind of more like, oh, they're from this fictional country and oops, accidentally we killed people in their country. And like, you know, oh, the bomb was going to go off, but it didn't and all of that. And it's like then the way that they go into activism is viewed as being this kind of negative thing. And I think that all of those things It doesn't hold true to the comics, but it also doesn't really hold true to the character. And I think that it allows for a lot of things because it's removing her from a lot of the things that tied her to these huge atrocities throughout history. It's like a lot of the things with her and her Jewish Romani heritage, I think, makes a lot of sense for the character. And kind of taking that away from her takes a lot away from any fans that have those identities but it also 
takes a lot away from her character because there's kind of like a inherent message against war in her comic book origin, whereas in the movies, I think that it gets really blurred. Well, I, I think you hit on so many things that were also my thoughts about WandaVision and, and the, the shifts in the casting, characterization, plot, country of origin, ethnic background, etc. of of Wanda. And I read a really beautiful article that came out at the end of February, but it's on Mike.com, and it was a Romani witch talking about why she dislikes WandaVision. And it just raised a lot of really important points about exactly what you're describing, Sarah. And so I'll share that in the show notes. I think there's just the representation of Romani people in pop culture is just awful. Let's be real, just terrible and filled with stereotypes and used to justify a lot of terrible treatment. Romani people have been and, and continue to be treated like shit in the entire world. And I'm more familiar with treatment in Europe. Uh, not good. Not good stuff. So I think that there's just a lot of layers here. And I thought that article really encapsulated the particularity of that representation, particularly because you know, they go for that Halloween episode in, in WandaVision that is playful and we all love it because it's the play on their costumes that they wore in the comics. And that was actually really harmful, I think, to a lot of Romani people to see the uh, caricature of their culture in the form of Wanda in that costume. And I think it's partially, you know, some of the weird stuff she says and does. So, yeah, I think that I, I enjoyed a lot of WandaVision. I think that it was pretty cool the way that they took us into the show. I thought it was, you know, bold to drop us into these different highly stylized TV shows from various decades. I liked that Wanda was, it seemed, you know, pretty much leading up until the last episode or two, really grappling with some trauma. And there was a way that it showed the way that intense trauma distorts your reality and makes you see things differently, makes you understand things differently. And then if you were a superpowered individual, how might that ripple out? I don't know how I feel about, I loved Agatha, but like Agatha up in the clouds, you are the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, that was, that was fine. <laughs> That's kind of a thing that I think is, I mean, I don't want to get into that, but like, I know witches. And so talking about how witches are portrayed is also, yeah. I mean, that's kind of an extension of how Romani exactly. and Jewish people are portrayed. There's like that scene where like all of the other witches are the problem for the witch, you know? It's like there's all of this witch versus witch stuff going on. That's really kind of yeah, I don't I don't know of any witches that don't fully rely on having a greater network of people around them. So it's a strange one. But it also is consistent. Yeah, and a strange way to show Agatha going dark, but I'm sorry, you were saying it was consistent with... Well, Disney. Mm, exactly. <laughs> Disney being Disney and being kind of anti-Semitic, you know, or I mean, honestly, like historically anti-Semitic. <laughs> Overtly and quite. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's not say kind of when we mean a bunch. Yeah. But so yeah. I think that there's a lot of problems with it. And I do think that the changes, I mean, that's not the only changes, but like also this is a character that I do love, but has just been treated rough, you know, by a lot of different creators, including a lot of comic creators. So yes, it's one of those characters where it's like, I don't necessarily blame them for getting her not totally correct. And I do think that there were efforts made, you know, <laughs> 
But I also just am kind of like, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of a different deal. And it is a little bit harmful to take that part of her heritage away and then be like, LOL, it's like a joke, right? You know, like there's there's problems with that. Yes, absolutely. Huge, huge problems, as as you've said. It changes the lean of her story to be not as liberal, like not as left as it is. Like the whole point of these characters is they're characters who really were affected by a world that hates them, not just because they're mutant, like their ethnicity is something that was very pronounced in that hatred. By taking that out, it's like you're just repeating what you do with a ton of other characters especially with Storm or something. You'll see her talk about being a mutant, but very often does she talk about being like a black woman, right? So like Wanda was one of the very few who was like, this is my heritage. And like, we lose a lot with that. And also there would be something that was inherently against all of the warmongering, right? Like you would be against that if you were Wanda. And so it added for a different interpretation that wasn't as tolerant, I guess. Those are all really great points, Sarah. I really appreciate hearing you talk about where Wanda falls short. Um, And you talked a little bit about what is done well. I thought one of the things that was done well was showing the magnitude of her power. Do I love that she was manipulating a whole town of people into being her puppets? No, I think that's probably a bad thing. And do I think there could have been a more interesting resolution to that where she actually has to grapple with some of the harm she's done instead of just like flying away? (laughs) Yeah, I think that could be good for her. The part where you see her become the Scarlet Witch, though, is like, I mean... That's like nerd stuff that that's a high that I'll continue to chase from Marvel movie to Marvel movie where it's I just hear like, that. man, I mean, you see that like the headgear thing. Yeah. But like when it shows up out of like mystical light. I love it so much. And so I cool. that like that silhouette scene and it's Oof. just like, yeah, the Scarlet Witch. I know. I'm just like, I do. oh, I've been reading this character since I was a kid. But there is some stuff like the weirdness between her and Vision. I think translates really well from mm, the mm-hmm. comics to I mean I was there for every episode I watched the whole thing I thought it was good there's things I don't like about it and there's definitely things where I'm like yeah this is what would happen if Disney bought these characters and turned them into like blockbusters as basically we would lose uh, a lot of the things that make them as compelling as they are and that's a shame Totally, totally. And 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 I think that there were some major missteps. For me, outside of the Romani, you know, misstep, which happened with the casting, which happened with the retconning of her backstory and, and Pietro's backstory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is I think toward the end. And I think it's a problem that we see in comics a lot, especially super, I mean, particularly superhero comics, where there's a need for a big battle. You know, there needs to be someone you can fight. And the truth, right, is that Wanda's her her biggest antagonist in in the series, and they didn't quite figure out how to deal with that. So then, I did end up feeling like Agatha was a little bit shoehorned in at the end. As much as I knew that's who she was like, the first time she showed up on screen, right? You're like, oh, look, there's Agatha. You know, I felt like that was shoehorned in, and that kind of bummed me out. And then. I thought, you know, they did built up such a great story for Monica and really didn't deliver on it in the end. They, you know, used her as a human shield, which is just fucked up on so many levels for like magical children who get undone by magic moments later. So that part was like, well, 
No. But I did, you know, I loved getting to see Wiccan and Speed. Like, it was so cute to see them as, like, little babies. Mm -hmm. They were adorable. And I did really like, like you said, the dynamics between Vision and Wanda felt very real and, and true to relationships and also true to what I've read of them in the comics. I have nowhere near the sort of background you do, but... It's a valiant effort within a huge machine that has a very clear agenda. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best way to sum it up, honestly. <laughs> so switching to the second half of Kay's question. Thank you so much, Kay. Sarah, what are some of the comics that you would love to see adapted? Well, I don't have specifics, but I do have one that I would love, love, love to see more of, and that is weird Superman. You know how Superman sometimes has really weird stories that are so bonkers <laughs> that you would never see them anywhere? I love that. And I think that every single time we see a Superman movie, it's always tries to be so epic and is like has to be so epic because that's what everybody wants to see apparently but I think it'd be real cool just to start seeing some of those like weird outlandish here's me in outer space I'm in like a intergalactic wrestling ring and now I'm doing this like <laughs> other thing and the issue to issue comics I think with Superman is a lot of what I love about that character and so seeing him take on like more existential threats or like threats that are more cosmic in nature and not necessarily always have to have big bad Lex Luthor, Darkseid or like, you know, anything like that. I think that it would just be fun because a huge part of Superman's history is him taking on these completely ridiculous threats that are just sci-fi bonkers, totally zany awesomeness. I love that. I think that's such a good idea. To really let us see other sides of this character who, I mean, I don't even know when the first Superman film was made, but like forever. <laughs> yeah. We've been having Superman stories forever, and there's a reason. And I used to be a bit of a naysayer around Superman, as we've discussed. But I really, I've been reading a lot more about what, you know, like marginalized people think and why they love him. I've been listening to you talk about why you love Superman. And I think that that's exactly what could be cool, is to see this truly good person who's trying to do good face just the weirdest threats that would be so adorable i would i would love to see that yeah. do you think it's more of a series or like a t because i could see it serialized pretty well or do you think it's more like a, yeah i a really film? would take basically anything i think that <laughs> i would take that as a comic because i love it i mean i liked a lot of grant morrison's writing so they did a bunch of superman that was very much like that like kind of zany strange stuff and brought back a lot of those old concepts like the same as they did with batman you know but I think it was a lot more successful with Superman because there's like that kind of wide-eyed optimism that I think Grant Morrison does well with. And so that was great. I loved a lot of that stuff. And I would love more comics that are like that. I would like die for like a Lois Lane Girl Reporter series or something along those lines. And uh, likewise, yeah, I would do a cartoon series maybe, like an animated Cute. series would be really, really cool because then you could justify the budget. Like it would be a different realm. And then I think also a movie would be great because you could introduce the Legion of Superheroes, you know, like you could do a very strange Superman movie that I think would be a lot of fun. Well, one I know we both agree on, which I was middling on, but then before off mic, you were like, it would be great in a series. And I was like, oh, you're so right is monstrous. I was like, I don't know if that could make it 
to the screen. And you were like, no, it'd be a great TV show. And I was like, like Walking Dead style. Yeah, with like all the sprawling different shows. Oh my God. I would love that. That would be so good. I want that instead of Walking Dead. Sorry, Walking Dead fans. (laughs) Like, I get it. I get it. I know why. But like, also, Monstrous is just a better story. (laughs) It's so good. I love Monstrous. And I I think that it has such a sweeping potential to do, to do like a, you know, almost like a Walking Dead meets Game of Thrones style series where there's lots of politics at play, but also like lots of disasters happening, a lot of pressure on them to like solve things, to, to figure out who's good and bad. I think, oh my God, that'd be so much fun. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun, and I am here for it. I would do maybe Birds of Prey, but I would do the characters like Black Canary, maybe a solo movie. I mean, Mm. Hunter is 100% a solo movie. You know, Renee Montoya, a really cool, like, private investigator solo movie. Written by Vita Ayala, please. (coughs) I think that that would be awesome. And then I was thinking, too, I would really like it if they did a movie of the Robbie Reyes Ghostwriter. Yes! I would love to see Robbie Reyes Ghostwriter. He was great in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We've talked about it at length. I would love the same actor even to play him. I think that that would be great. I loved that actor. And I would love like a slightly older version of that character too. Yeah, I'd like to see Robbie. Like what happens after he's a teenager who becomes a ghostwriter, right? Like what lies beyond for him? Yeah, that sounds super duper fun. Well, I obviously I would love to see Nubia real one. Oh, yeah. I think it would do great on the CW. I think it would be, you know, great on any number of channels. I think it'd be a great TV show. I would love to see it. I think that comic is outstanding. Makes me weep. So I would love to see an adaptation of that because, well, I mean, A, I just want to see Nubia on screen, obviously. But I think that that would be so fun to see her as this teen version of herself that doesn't have to be, like, wound up in the DC universe. Oh, yeah, totally. I would love that. That would be incredible. A lot of those, like, YA books, honestly, that they did about various superheroes, Mm -hmm. I think all of those would work as, you know, ongoing cartoons or, like, TV series. I think all of them would do great doing that. Totally. I'd love to see Abbott, like, adapted as, like, a gritty detective show. That has to be. It would be a great series. Yeah, I would watch all five seasons of that prestige drama. (laughs) I would love it. It'd be so good. I would love to see a movie of Amethyst because— Oh, my God, of course. That'd be so cute. Amethyst, Princess of Gym World, would be a very good fantasy movie, and I would just love it. It's such a cool design, like the whole universe that they built with it. It's a really cool story. I love everything about it. So I would just love, love, love to see them kind of go from the beginning to the end because there's a couple of miniseries after the first miniseries. I think if they kind of combined all three of those stories, it would be like a three-hour epic. It would be so good. And I would love to read it. And I could see it with like even almost like a Princess Bride tone to it where Mm -hmm. there's like like a high level of humor and like... But still some, like, intrigue and, and cuteness. And, like, I I think that would be so cute. And a lot of epicness. Totally. And, to like, be. cool other world, you know, that is, like, beautiful and weird and has all its own rules. Oh, I love that idea. I would love to see a sort of almost pose-style safe sex. Oh, yeah, okay. That would be actually very interesting, I think, too. 
Because I, I waffled on safe sex. I was like, I don't know. Like, would it work? And then I was like, yeah, it would be amazing. What am I saying? <laughs> it would be amazing, yeah. Yeah. I could just, like, see the purples and the way that, like, those colors influenced the the comic and then see how that purple lens would be used in a in a series. Like, I could, oh, I'm just giving myself chills. I just love it. I love it. <laughs> And the yeah. dirty mind would be so cool, and all the actors would be so hot. Yeah, I love it. I'm in. Yeah, I mean, it would be awesome. I hope that that does happen. It doesn't seem outside of the realm of possibility that we might see that. So that'd be great. For ones that I don't want to see an adaptation of, I think my only one, because usually I'm pretty open to this stuff, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe you'll just do a different version of it or this or that. Like, I love a lot of really long-range franchises. Like, Mm -hmm. I love the Godzilla movies. There is a whole lot of different Godzilla movies, right? So I'm like, you can just make as many of them as you want, and sometimes maybe they'll be good, and sometimes maybe I won't like them as much, but you know what? I'm here for the long haul. So (laughs) here I am living on this planet. Here you are releasing movies. Yes. Uh, That's exactly how I feel about the MCU. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even happy that I'm watching this movie. But as I'm watching it, I am very happy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. I just turn into like a 10-year-old, you know? Like I turn into a 10-year-old in a movie theater just like, oh my God. Like I just watched Black Widow with some friends in their backyard. And I was just like, oh my God, Natasha's so cool. Oh my God, Yelena's so cool. Cool. And then I was like, oh, did you guys know that Yelena is also one of the Black Widows in the comic? Like a fucking nerd, just like so happy. <laughs> so, you know, I get it, Sarah. Like, I also feel that way watching Godzilla movies. I usually end up like yelling something when something explodes because I'm just so excited. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, Godzilla. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm in a theater in the before times. Or like, oh my God, I just yelled in my partner's ear in the now times. <laughs> So, yeah, I really love TV and film adaptations of comics. And, you know, what you said reminded me of something that Riley Silverman said on the pod back in July, which is that, you know, like you have to view them as as different things. So, you know, if I had been handed a Winona Earp comic, one of the early ones, and told, read this, and then we're going to have an adaptation of this, I would be like, you know, the premise is good, but I don't particularly care for it. I was going to bring that series up, too, because if you had asked me, I would have been like, there is nothing there, folks. (laughs) Right? And it ended up being an amazing adaptation, one that we both love very dearly. So I'm I'm like you. I'm very open-minded about it. Some of the ones that I thought might not make the best adaptations were like Upgrade Soul. That comic is so heady and so, you know, the characters are so different from how we think of people looking. And so I don't know, like, how, you know, 10 years ago, I'd have been like, oh, it would look terrible in CGI. But, like, today, I'm like, I don't know, man. I've been watching some CGI stuff that I didn't even realize was CGI. <laughs> like, you can do some incredible shit. So maybe there's, like, a an indie way of doing Upgrade Soul that would work. I also put Niobe on that list because a Niobe has these really specific art styles that I just don't know if they would translate to the screen very well but then I'm like who knows like put an amazing graphic artist on it and like maybe maybe it would yeah I don't think that they could successfully capture what I love so much about the Love and Rockets comic Mm -hmm. because Love and Rockets is such a master class of the medium it has Mm -hmm. so much that is specific to comics the way that the panels are laid out the way that it conveys time and space passing between those panels. 
There's a lot of things that I just don't think would translate very well to the screen because it seems to me that the way that they tell the Levin Rockets comic story is it has to be a comic. Like there's no way you could do all this stuff. And then you also wouldn't be able to include all of the randomness of the series, I don't Mm -hmm. think, because the way that they have it patterned is by... You know, a lot of those soap operas where it's like day after day stories and stuff like that. And so this has been something that's been going on for decades, too, as a comic. So there's so much material, you know, there's so much backstory for basically every character. And I have a feeling that if somebody tried to make it into a movie, they would just do the Maggie and Hopi story like real fast or something. Do like a Mm -hmm. 90 minute Maggie and Hopi film that was funny and cute and quirky or whatever. but. I don't think I would like that too much because I just think that that's not the point of Love and Rockets, right? I mean, it's one part of Love and Rockets and I love those characters, but there's so, so much to it. You know, it's like the wrestling subplots, like the fact that there's a ghost in a tree that kind of pops up again (laughs) and again over years and years. The scientists, like there's just so much. There's so much to it. And I just, once again, the way that the art style works, the way that the panel to panel stuff goes, I just think that it's so perfectly suited for the medium that it is that I would have a lot of problems finding what I think is so majestic about it. But then once again, I'm also like, get that money. I would watch every episode. And I'm sure that there'd be a way you'll find somebody who is just like a genius who could pull that off and make it really entertaining. But I do think that so much of what I love about it is based on the fact that it is a comic, specifically. I agree with that. I think it would just be so hard to capture the specificity, the strangeness, the artistic style, which is part of what is, you know, commenting on the story. But would I love to see a film from the Hernandez brothers? Hell yes. Give them some money. I would love to watch whatever weird movie they'd come up with. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. I would also love to see Infidel as a short film. I think that they're making that into a what? movie. Oh my Aren't God. They? I'm pretty I don't sure. Know. Well, you know what? Good work, team. We're all on the same page. <laughs> uh, I'd also love to see Bloodlust in Bonnets as a Harley Quinn style cartoon. I think it would be so funny and delightful executed that way, you know, because it's, you know, mixing this sort of. Victorian, is that right? I don't even know. Like this Lord Byron era. Romantic, thank you. Romanticism. I was thinking Victorian because the big ball gowns, but then I was like, I don't fucking know anything about history. (laughs) But love the style. The era is rife for like being represented on, on screen, I think. And then to, you know, throw in like vampires and queer people and and all that jazz. It just I think would be really, really fun to see as a sort of chaotic animated series. And then Queen of Bad Dreams. I would love to see that adapted. I think it could be a great animated series or animated film. I think it could be a great short film. I think it could be great long. I think it could be animated. It could be live action. I don't care. I just want to see it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm into all of it. Oh, and I would say like the Jane Foster story. But guess what? It's happening. I'm very excited. Well, Kay, what a what a great stimulating question you've asked us. We have lots. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to like get off this call and immediately think of 13 others. But we got you a couple of starting places. We talked about Wanda and WandaVision. And again, we just appreciate you. Hey, everybody. 
everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. We're enjoying the time that we spend with you. We have made a Patreon. There is more episodes on it. You can listen to all of the episodes on it if you subscribe at any level. You could do $2. You could do $10. You could do $20. We've had a few who did $20, listener. And while we don't expect that from everybody... If you wanted to give us $20 a month, that'd be chill. And you could also give us two, or you could literally give us none. Go ahead and check out the Patreon anyway, because there's a ton of free episodes. We love it when you support the show, because it means that we can keep making the show. And that's always really nice. But also, just check it out. Go listen to our free cage match, or the Ghost Rider Corner, or some of SE's comic reviews of webcomics, many things. Also, I mean, didn't we just do a whole episode about Amalgam Comics? We've done a ton of things. You can listen to so much of it for free. So go check out the Patreon if you've run out of episodes in your regular feed, which some people have, I've heard. Go to patreon.com slash bitches on comics. You got to spell the whole thing out. You can't search us. We're 18 plus because we say fuck a lot. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The comic of the week is LaGuardia. Written by Nettie Okorafor, art by Tana Ford, colors by James Devlin, letters by Sal Cipriano. Oh my god. I had not even heard of this comic before we read Me it. Me neither. This. Oh my god. I was like, what? Where'd this come from? This is a stunning work of science fiction. It's about immigration, 
It's about the United States of America. It's about protest. It has some of the most beautiful protest art I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It is stunning. It is a stunning work. And Nettie, the author, there's an interview at the back of the first volume where she talks about how she came up with the idea. And she'd had the idea in her mind for a long time for the story. And then when the travel ban in 2016, I believe 2016 travel ban from 45 was announced, she was like, oh, the time is now. And I'm so grateful she decided the time was at any time while I was alive because I am obsessed with this story. I was not expecting, you know, LaGuardia is the name of a, uh, an airport. It's the name of a community. It's the name of a community college. I was not expecting this sweeping, epic story about what personhood means when aliens have come to Earth. What? Oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah, because that's kind of the thing that's so interesting about this story is usually whenever the aliens come to Earth or whatever, it's like either they want to attack us or we like subjugate them in some way. And in this, it was mostly just like life pretty much just continues on because people are still people, right? So like they're still doing mean things to each other, you know, just as much as to the aliens and stuff. So I think that there's a lot in this. There's a ton of metaphor. There's a ton of stuff that it just comes right out and says, too. Her grandma is an immigration lawyer, and so the parts of the story where she just kind of goes to work with her grandma, like she goes to LaGuardia, right? And then she interacts with these three guys who are coming over, and they're all just like, this country sucks. Like, why did we come here? This is terrible. It's way too much. And then the main character, Future, is so excited to see this beautiful, amazing, large protest that's just like all of these people who are against the ban. And like, that's something that I think a lot of dystopian stories don't always capture is the beauty of protest, right? So Mm -hmm. like the beauty of people being out in the streets and being like, we're fighting this. And like, you know, this is how we fight. Other people fight in different ways, but like, we're still against this, you know? And I remember that from the travel bans. Like, I remember it being you know, a really intense time of protest. And like, even whenever 45 was elected, like I was in, I landed in Chicago, (laughs) like the day that that guy was announced as having won the election. And so it was just, you know, they have Trump Tower there. So it was just protest, 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 like that entire week. I think Mm. I went to a zine fest or something and it was like one day zine fest every other day, everybody is at the protest. And so I just think that the way that this comic portrays protest is something that I barely have seen. I think there was a little bit of it in Eleanor Davis's work. But Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, so often like protesters are like, they're so out of control and stuff. And I think that like even mainstream superhero comics really portray that as being true, even though that's really messed up. So like with all of the propaganda that we consume, it's honestly like a huge surprise to see you know, it's so well portrayed. And then also, like, it shouldn't be a surprise. And it only makes sense in the story that it's not a surprise, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and and you know, like, we're not talking about someone who's never written anything before. I know Nettie's written novels yeah. and, and children's books and is, like, a prolific really author. Books. And did Shuri, the Shuri series. Thank you. I knew I was forgetting an important comic. <laughs> Yeah, lots of good stuff, though. The books are so worth it. Like, the novel's really Mm. good. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so I have to tell you a little bit about the premise so you can understand the yes. emotional impact it had on me. So Future is actually from the United States. She moves to Nigeria. Nigeria is where the aliens first make contact. And so Nigeria becomes one of the central hubs of intergalactic travel. It also is a site of a big tension between humans and aliens there. Future is given a plant by her partner. She is very excited about the plant, then realizes the plant is actually a flora, and flora are plant-based aliens. Humans and other aliens who are bipedal aren't aware that there's a huge war happening between different flora. And so this person comes to her as a refugee and is stuck in a potted plant and is like, I can't stay here. They will kill me. Future is very pregnant, and she just drops everything to help this plant alien, this flora, escape. And so they go back to the United States where Future knows that her grandma is there and will provide her support. The alien names themselves Let Me Live, which I can't even. Yeah, <laughs> so there's so many parts of this it. where you just cry at like the plot. Yeah. <laughs> like basic elements of the plot will make you cry. And then, yeah, like stuff like that. Like Let Me. And Let Me is such the best character, right? Oh my God. Like I love Let Me. Without giving away anything, because I do think this is absolutely something to be read, is we find that Let Me has influenced the life of Future and then Future's partner citizen, mm -hmm. the father of her child, in ways where they don't even know what the repercussions of the impact is going to be at the end of the, this volume. I think it has some of the best meditations on what makes a life worth saving, what makes a life, because Future risks everything to save what many of us would just call, it would be like, that's just a plant. And even though it's sentient, you know, it looks like a plant. The, the face of, of Let Me is a leaf, you know? Mm -hmm. Like there isn't any anthropomorphization of them. And so I think there's just this really powerful way that, you know, the comic through a Black character, through a Black Nigerian-American character who left the United States because of the racism here and went to Nigeria and then left Nigeria because of the xenophobia there to protect this individual. That's such an incredible lens to bring to this, to have a Black woman be the person who is, you know, like usual, taking care of things and also taking a risk for someone else. Mm -hmm. It's such a powerful giant philosophical science fiction comic and a deeply intimate interpersonal comic. And you have these moments sort of back to back. There's the big protest, but then there's like the young Sudanese men who Sarah was talking about who show up to study. They're here because they got accepted into, you know, higher education institutions. They just want to come learn. They, they're supposed to be here. But by the time they landed, Sudan had been added to the alien ban list. So their whole life had changed while they were on a flight. And, yeah. and Future and her grandma get them out. Future's grandma, oh my God. I love her. Cool, cool lady. She's the best. Ugh. Yeah, you can definitely tell like where Future gets it, right? And like mm -hmm. Future is also, I mean, it's like every character in this is like a perfect character. Like they all make a lot of sense with each other. And they don't agree on things. And they have great yeah. conflict and and people learn from each other in a way where they're they're willing to. And that is just so 
that's what I want the world to be, right? <laughs> I know. That's it. Like, this comic, I wasn't, as you said, I had no idea what to expect. And then whenever I was reading it, I was like, oh, yes, the writer. Yes, I enjoy it. And, like, you know, the art, obviously, is just absolutely oh my gorgeous. God. Out of control. It's really beautiful art. And so I was just like, okay, well, let's see what we have in store. And it's just like, yeah, you're crying, like, right away because it's, like, all of the pain that— was happening and is still happening around like immigration and stuff. It's just been devastating for so long. And it's just like, you really feel some kind of way about it, you know? And so like watching it be portrayed in art in an honest way is honestly something that we don't see very often because people certainly like use a lot of metaphors. This, I feel like used metaphors to good effect, but then also, as I said, just came out and said a bunch of stuff. Like the part where they go to the airport to get the Sudanese men out, that's something that I am 100,000% positive happened a bunch of times, you know? So it's like, there's stuff that is just real life. And then there's these examinations of a character like Let Me, who is just honest and telling you how things are and trying to express when they're in pain and like just self-sacrificing and like doing all of this really cool stuff for everybody else. And then, of course, future and citizens start to get green, their green hair and stuff like there's I don't want to spoil so it, but like there's, there's so much cool stuff. I'm and totally like, crying. it's such a short comic. I think it's only like 120 pages tops. But it is great, and it's just so worth it. If I was picking up a comic called LaGuardia, I'm just like, well, this could be about a lot of things, but I wouldn't have predicted it would be this story specifically or that it would be so deeply, deeply moving because that is the defining trait of this comic above everything else is it will totally make you cry. Like, that stuff really happened, you know? And I yeah. feel like our country, like, and our news and everything just gaslights us so much and, like, makes us forget things, and now it's like... We're just supposed to get over like all of the COVID deaths. We're always supposed to be getting over something and like not thinking about it anymore. And so being somebody who was so devastated by Bush or not, sorry, Bush, but uh, Trump being that elected, too. that too. But like, yeah, Trump being elected was just like such a goddamn nightmare. And so like the fact that there's this representation being like, no, there were protests and they were really good. And that like there were protests before that and that there will be protests after because we have to, right? You know? And I think you just hit up the nail on the head of what I think is so important to know about the piece, Sarah, which is that it is, it's both a reaction to something that was happening and it's completely timeless. There's no sense of it feeling dated. If you know that what I said, you know, about Nende Okafor's, the way that she felt coming into writing it, like, yes, you can see those elements there, but it could have been written yesterday, right? Because like Sarah said, there is an ongoing xenophobia in this country related to immigration. And what I think is so brilliant about the way that this comic is put together is that it is both with humans and aliens simultaneously. And so you have to sort of grapple with the way that who gets to choose who's human enough, who gets to choose who's person enough. I was just looking at some panels and bawling because you look at the protests and it is people are putting their lives on the line to create more safety for the aliens, literal aliens who are purple and see-through or look like a giraffe or have a weird mucus or whatever it is. And that is so inspiring. Mm -hmm. I love it. This was such a good comic. I was very pleased that I read it and I will definitely revisit it and I would definitely recommend it to a lot of people 
because it is so emotionally fleshed out Mm. in a way that it is so impressive for how little space the story is given. So that just tells you how much character work goes into this and just like how real the dialogue feels and everything about it is just a really, really good comic. Mm. Well said. I love it. Go read it. LaGuardia. podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch? If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.